Section twenty five of La Samoire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. La Samoire by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest A. Viste. Second part of chapter six. Salted mouth, otherwise drink without thirst, leant back and swung the dell round with both hands short and lean with his goatee bristling and with his wolf-like eyes glaring beneath his unkempt hair he seemed to snap at each swing of the hammer springing up from the ground as though carried away by the force he put into the blow he was a fierce one who fought with the iron annoyed at finding it so hard and he even gave a grunt whenever he thought he had planted a fierce stroke perhaps brandy did weaken other people's arms but he needed brandy in his veins instead of blood the drop he had taken a little while before had made his carcass as warm as a boiler. He felt he had the power of a steam engine within him. And the iron seemed to be afraid of him this time. He flattened it more easily than if it had been a quid of tobacco. And it was a sight to see how Dedel waltzed. She cut such capers with her tootsies in the air, just like a little dancer at the Elysee Montmartre, who exhibits her fine underclothes. For it would never do to dawdle iron is so deceitful it cools at once just to spite the hammer with thirty blows salted mouth otherwise drink without thirst had fashioned the head of his bolt but he panted his eyes were half out of his head and got into a great rage as he felt his arms growing tired then carried away by wrath jumping about and yelling he gave two more blows just out of revenge for his trouble when he took the bolt from the hole, it was deformed, its head being askew like a hunchback's. "'Come now, isn't that quickly beaten into shape?' said he all the same, with his self-confidence, as he presented his work to Gervaise. "'I'm no judge, sir,' replied the laundress, reservedly. But she saw plainly enough the marks of the Dell's last two kicks on the bolt, and she was very pleased. She bit her lips so as not to laugh, for now Gouget had every chance of winning. It was now Golden Mug's turn— before commencing, he gave the laundress a look full of confident tenderness. Then he did not hurry himself. He measured his distance, and swung the hammer from on high with all his might and at regular intervals. He had the classic style, accurate, evenly balanced, and supple. Fifine, in his hands, did not cut capers like at a dance-hall, but made steady, certain progress. She rose and fell in cadence, like a lady of quality solemnly leading some ancient minuet. There was no brandy in Golden Mug's veins, only blood, throbbing powerfully, even into Fifine, and controlling the job. That stalwart fellow! What a magnificent man he was at work! The high flame of the forge shone full on his face. His whole face seemed golden indeed, with his short hair curling over his forehead, and his splendid yellow beard. His neck was as straight as a column, and his immense chest was wide enough for a woman to sleep across it. His shoulders and sculptured arms seemed to have been copied from a giant's statue in some museum. You could see his muscles swelling, mountains of flesh rippling and hardening under the skin. His shoulders, his chest, his neck expanded. He seemed to shed light about him, becoming beautiful and all-powerful, like a kindly god. He had now swung Fifine twenty times, his eyes always fixed on the iron, drawing a deep breath with each blow, yet showing only two great drops of sweat trickling down from his temples. He counted. Twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. 
calmly Fafine continued, like a noble lady dancing. "'What a show-off!' jeeringly murmured, salted mouth, otherwise drink without thirst. Gervaise, standing opposite Goujet, looked at him with an affectionate smile. "'Mon Dieu! What fools men are! Here these two men were, pounding on their bolts to pay court to her. She understood it. They were battling with hammer-blows, like two big red roosters vying for the favours of a little white hen. Sometimes the human heart has fantastic ways of expressing itself. This thundering of Dedel and Fifine upon the anvil was for her. This forge roaring and overflowing was for her. They were forging their love before her, battling over her. To be honest, she rather enjoyed it. All women are happy to receive compliments. The mighty blows of Golden Mug found echoes in her heart. They rang within her, a crystal-clear music in time with the throbbing of her pulse. She had the feeling that this hammering was driving something deep inside of her, something solid, something hard as the iron of the bolt. She had no doubt Gouget would win. Salted mouth, otherwise drink without thirst, was much too ugly in his dirty tunic, jumping around like a monkey that had escaped from a zoo. She waited, blushing red, happy that the heat could explain the blush. Gouget was still counting. And twenty-eight, cried he at length, laying the hammer on the ground. It's finished. You can look. The head of the bolt was clean, polished, and without a flaw, regular goldsmith's work, with the roundness of a marble cast in a mould. The other men looked at it and nodded their heads. There was no denying it was lovely enough to be worshipped. Salted mouth, otherwise drink without thirst, tried indeed to chuff, but it was no use, and ended by returning to his anvil with his nose put out of joint. Gervaise had squeezed up against Gouget, as though to get a better view. Etienne having let go the bellows, the forge was once more becoming enveloped in shadow, like a brilliant red sunset suddenly giving way to black night. And the blacksmith and the laundress experienced a sweet pleasure in feeling this gloom surround them in that shed black with soot and filings, and where an odour of old iron prevailed. They could not have thought themselves more alone in the Bois de Vincennes had they met there in the death of some copse. He took her hand as though he had conquered her. Outside they scarcely exchanged a word. All he could find to say was that she might have taken Etienne away with her, had it not been that there was still another half-hour's work to get through. When she started away he called her back, wanting a few more minutes with her. "'Come along. You haven't seen all the place. It's quite interesting.' He led her to another shed, where the owner was installing a new machine. She hesitated in the doorway, oppressed by an instinctive dread. The great hall was vibrating from the machines, and black shadows filled the air. He reassured her with a smile, swearing that there was nothing to fear, only she should be careful not to let her skirts get caught in any of the gears. He went first, and she followed, into the deafening hubbub of whistling, amid clouds of steam peopled by human shadows moving busily. The passages were very narrow, and there were obstacles to step over, holes to avoid, passing carts to move back from. She couldn't distinguish anything clearly or hear what Gouget was saying. Gervaise looked up and stopped to stare at the leather belts hanging from the roof in a gigantic spider-web, each strip ceaselessly revolving. The steam-engine that drove them was hidden behind a low brick wall so that the belts seemed to be moving by themselves. She stumbled and almost fell while looking up. Gouget raised his voice with explanations. There were the tapping machines operated by women, which put threats on bolts and nuts. Their steel gears were shining with oil. She could follow the entire process. 
she nodded her head and smiled. She was still a little tense, however, feeling uneasy at being so small among these rough metal workers. She jumped back more than once, her blood suddenly chilled by the dull thud of a machine. Gouget had stopped before one of the rivet machines. He stood there brooding, his head lowered, his gaze fixed. This machine forged forty-millimeter rivets with the calm ease of a giant. Nothing could be simpler. The stoker took the iron shank from the furnace. The striker put it into the socket, where a continuous stream of water cooled it to prevent softening of the steel. The press descended, and the bolt flew out into the ground, its head as round as though cast in a mould. Every twelve hours this machine made hundreds of kilograms of bolts. Gouget was not a mean person, but there were moments when he wanted to take Fifine and smash this machine to bits, because he was angry to see that its arms were stronger than his own. He reasoned with himself, telling himself that human flesh cannot compete with steel. But he was still deeply hurt. The day would come when machinery would destroy the skilled worker. Their day's pay had already fallen from twelve francs to nine francs. There was talk of cutting it again. He stared at it, frowning, for three minutes without saying a word. His yellow beard seemed to bristle defiantly. Then, gradually, an expression of resignation came over his face, and he turned toward Gervaise, who was clinging tightly to him, and said with a sad smile, "'Well, that machine would certainly win a contest, but perhaps it will be for the good of mankind in the long run.' Gervaise didn't care a bit about the welfare of mankind. Smiling, she said to Gouget, "'I like yours better, because they show the hand of an artist.' Hearing this, gave him great happiness, because he had been afraid that she might be scornful of him after seeing the machines. Mon Dieu! He might be stronger than salted mouth, otherwise drink without thirst, but the machines were stronger yet. When Gervaise finally took her leave, Gouget was so happy that he almost crushed her with a hug. The laundress went every Saturday to the Gougets to deliver their washing. They still lived in a little house in the Rue Neuve de la Goutte d'Or, during the first year she had regularly repaid them twenty francs a month, so as not to jumble up the accounts, the washing-book was only made up at the end of each month, and then she added to the amount whatever sum was necessary to make the twenty francs, for the Gouget's washing rarely came to more than seven or eight francs during that time. She had therefore paid off nearly half the sum owing, when one quarter day, not knowing what to do, some of her customers not having kept their promises, she had been obliged to go to the Gouges and borrow from them sufficient for her rent. On two other occasions she had also applied to them for the money to pay her workwomen, so that the debt had increased again to four hundred and twenty-five francs. Now she no longer gave a halfpenny. She worked off the amount solely by the washing. It was not that she worked less or that her business was not so prosperous, but something was going wrong in her home. The money seemed to melt away, and she was glad when she was able to make both ends meet. Mon Dieu! What's the use of complaining as long as one gets by? She was putting on weight, and this caused her to become a bit lazy. She no longer had the energy that she had in the past. Oh well, there was always something coming in. Madame Gouget felt a motherly concern for Gervaise, and sometimes reprimanded her. This wasn't due to the money owed, but because she liked her and didn't want to see her get into difficulties. She never mentioned the debt. In short, she behaved with the utmost delicacy. The morrow of Gervaise's visit to the forge happened to be the last Saturday of the month. When she reached the Gougesse, where she made a point of going herself, 
her basket had so weight on her arms that she was quite two minutes before she could get her breath. One would hardly believe how heavy clothes are, especially when there are sheets among them. "'Are you sure you have brought everything?' asked Madame Gouget. She was very strict on that point. She insisted on having her washing brought home without a single article being kept back for the sake of order, as she said. She also required the laundress always to come on the day arranged and at the same hour. In that way there was no time wasted. "'Oh, yes, everything is here,' replied Gervaise, smiling. "'You know I never leave anything behind.' "'That's true,' admitted Madame Gouget. "'You've got into many bad habits, but you're still free of that one.' And while the laundress emptied her basket, laying the linen on the bed, the old woman praised her. She never burned the things, nor tore them like so many others did. Neither did she pull the buttons off with the iron. Only she used too much blue, and made the short fronts too stiff with starch. "'Just look, it's like cardboard,' continued she, making one crackle between her fingers. "'My son does not complain, but it cuts his neck. Tomorrow his neck will be all scratched when we return from Vincennes.' "'No, don't say that,' exclaimed Gervaise, quite grieved. "'To look nice, shirts must be rather stiff. Otherwise, it's as though one had a rag on one's body. You should just see what the gentlemen wear. I do all your things myself. The workwomen never touch them, and I assure you I take great pains. I would, if necessary, do everything over a dozen times, because it's for you, you know.' She slightly blushed as she stammered out the last words. She was afraid of showing the great pleasure she took in ironing Gouget's shirts. She certainly had no wicked thoughts, but she was nonetheless a little bit ashamed. End of second part of chapter 6